pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we just commit um, our hearts, our lives to you. We commit um, all that we are, um, our ears, our minds, our thoughts, all that we are. Help us that as we hear you right now, we hear your Holy Spirit, we hear your word, and it's by your Holy Spirit that we pray that you would prepare us, that you would strengthen us. And uh, I pray that even today, even in these next few moments, may people hear Jesus, may people see Jesus, and may people encounter Jesus. And it's in his name, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Peter's second letter refers, in fact, to Paul's writings in chapter 316. He addresses him as our beloved brother, Paul. This is Peter's second letter, one of two. Our beloved brother, Paul. He says his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Some things that are hard to understand. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that verse. Why? I don't feel so bad when I come across sections of Paul's writings that are hard to understand. Why? Because some of Paul's writings are tough, aren't they? They are deep, they are heavy, and often contain some very big words. Once again, thanks to Peter, they are often hard to understand. Today, this is part two in our series on the book of Romans. We're going to do four weeks, 16 chapters. Unfortunately, we will not cover every chapter or every word in the book. Uh, entitled Grace and Peace. Two key words in this book where we're going to learn, where we are learning crucial elements of our salvation. Yet I would describe this book as uh, a theology of the gospel. I'll get to back to that just in a moment. But it comes in the form of these big words as we discovered in part one last week. And we as a teaching team are trying to make these words as easy as possible for us to understand. Words like, do you remember the word last week was? Condemnation, very good. Condemnation, justification, redemption, propitiation, sanctification, reconciliation, atonement. But these words, these words give us language around our grace story. And right from word go, in the book of Romans, Paul is making his case that the entire human race is in a really bad shape before a holy God. That in fact we cannot achieve right standing before Him on our own. We need rescuing. We need saving. In fact, we need one big miracle to take place. And so, Paul at the start of this book, he lays this bleak foundation in preparation for the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news. What's the good news? It's the life, it's the death, and it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what's the theme? 
What's the theme of the book of Romans? Well, once again, I've just mentioned it. The theme of the book of Romans is the gospel. It is the good news. And the gospel is all about how people can be made right before God. And the way they are made right, wait for it, here comes another big word. The way they are made right is imputation which means he gives or imputes something that isn't yours. But he puts it in your account, and wait for it, and makes a declaration, and that's called justification, and that's our topic today, that you are just, that you are righteous, that you are accepted just the way you are. Ah, and I can't um, say this enough that this is a game changer. This word um, is, is monumental. And so, before we go any further, everybody in this room right now, let's take a deep breath because we're going to go a little deeper right now. And if you're ready, here we go. Many scholars would regards chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Romans as the most important chapters of Paul's entire writings and teachings. Now, if that is true, if that is true in and of itself, we must learn this word, justification. Because it's a word, as I mentioned, it's monumental and it changes everything. Most importantly, it changes lives. It changes your life, my life, and also has the potential to change your life. Before we go there, before we take this word apart this morning, before we go there, this letter is designed, by the way, to have four main movements, all right? But it's one long-flowing exploration, once again, of the theme, one long-flowing exploration of the gospel, Four main movements divided into, uh, once again, this is just my outline. You'll probably, probably find better outlines there, uh, out there. But four divided sections in the book of Romans, 16 chapters. The first section is, um, is, is from chapter 1 to chapter 3, verse 23. We talked about that verse. We'll come back to that in a moment. And this is about the wrath of God. It reveals what that means. And I want to talk about that just in a moment. But it reveals the righteousness of God in chapters 1 to, verse, uh, to chapter 3, verse 23, where Paul is painting this dark picture of all of humanity being guilty. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's, maybe I could describe it like this, that he takes us into the interrogation room, he strips us naked, but then, but then takes us into the throne room of God and then clothes us in what? In the righteousness and grace of God. It's as if the windows are open, the light is let in, and it is a new day. Now, that's the first section. Which chapters? Chapters 1 to verse chapter 3. The second section is the grace of God. Chapters 3, verse 24 to the end of chapter 8. That's the grace of God. That's where we're camping today. The, section, the third second section is the plan of God for both Jew and Gentile. We'll get to that. And that's chapters 9 to 11. Fourth section is the will of God, chapters 12. And that'll take us out to the end of the book of Romans to chapter 16. Now, these four sections are the four sections, once again, my outline, 
that will form the book of Romans. Scholars would also say that the following passage that I'm about to read to you um, is the most important, are the most important verses in all of Scripture. Do you want to hear them? It goes like this. Romans chapter 3, 20, you're very quiet this morning. Everything all right? Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 25. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are, say this word with me, all are justified, there's our word for today, freely by His grace through the redemption, another big word, bit of homework for you this week, that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate what? His righteousness because it's in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished now this is an incredible section of scripture right here right now a verse once again i want to highlight from week one that i've just read there that we all fall short of the glory of god for we have sinned and fall short of the glory of god what that means is that we fall short of god's standards once again, what Paul is saying here is that no matter if you, who you are, no matter who you are, you, if you're a Gentile, meaning that you have no religious background, or you are Jewish, that you have that true religious background, in fact, all of you, you are all guilty before God. Religion will not save you, Paul's saying. Um, uh, ritual can't save you. We would say that Christians' baptism can't save you. <gasps> Did you just say that? Yes, I just said that. Baptism can't save you, even though we encourage you, of course, to be baptized. That um, very public declaration of a very inner um, um, personal decision that you've made to make it public. But only Jesus, is Paul is saying, only Jesus can save you as an act of grace by dying for you and you believing that he died for you. And then, and only then, can you be saved. And when you are saved, you are, here's this word, you are justified. And that is our new position in Christ. It's the last word of chapter 4, and it's in the first verse of chapter 5. We're camping in chapter 5 this morning. The last word, here we go, the last word of chapter 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life, say this with me, for our justification. Chapter 5, therefore, what is it therefore, Sandy said last night? What is it therefore? Therefore, because of being justified, he goes on, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our privileged condition. I just want to say this morning, if you happen to be here this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been justified. Now this word, this word justified, justification, is used 30 times 
in the New Testament, half of those times it's written in the book of Romans alone. It is a legal term. Some of the the terms in which Paul uses, they are legal terms. He's trying to paint a picture here. But I cannot move forward any more than this just for now by emphasizing to you that this is one of the most important words in the entire New Testament. But Steve, what does it mean? Thank you. Good question. What does it mean? It means this, that God declares you to be righteous before Him, even though you are not in and of yourself. It's a declaration that comes from God and God alone. He makes you. He is the one who makes the declaration that you are, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus did upon the cross. It's He is the one who declares you justified. And then... He treats you that way. What way? As if you weren't guilty. He treats you, think it's up there, is it? Can we put that up, please? He treats you just if I'd never sinned. There it is, justification. God declares you, and then He treats you that way, as not guilty. Once again, once again, I'll go a bit slower, I'll go a bit slower. It's not earned it's received. You don't grow into it. You don't become justified. Neither are you more justified than somebody else. Why? Go back to that slide. Because it's God's declaration that comes from Him alone over you. And guess what? That's what's so good about the good news, about the gospel. It's by grace alone, through faith. Are we with me this morning? Am I speaking too quickly? I know there's a lot to consider here. And so, let's go from this new position just for a moment if we could. Because of this new position, this new status, whatever you want to say... Since being justified, come benefits. And chapter 5, I don't know if you picked it up as I read that. Chapter 5 lists a number of benefits that come simply by being justified. Here we go. Let me introduce it this way, maybe if I could. Sometimes a company you might see advertised in the examiner or a paper of somewhere or whatever sorts. Sometimes a company, when they are to attract an employee of sorts, they list maybe a salary in the range of, and they, 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 they list a year, uh, or in negotiations anyway, yearly benefits. And that's a part of the package. And as a part of the package, if you work well enough and you contribute to the company, we will give you certain bonuses. Are you with me? We understand? Yeah. All right. Now, if you think about it, if you think about it, we belong to the greatest company in the world. Let me go back. Let me clarify that word company. Yes, in brackets, community. We belong to the greatest community in the world, the local church. We believe that the local church, through Jesus, is the hope of the world. Um, This company is global. 
It has the ability to transform lives and has done so for over 2,000 years. Uh, this company, community, have offices uh, worldwide, any country on earth, even if it's underground, you will find representatives of this company there. This company I would describe as uh, inclusive of people where everyone, everybody is invited, that no one is excluded. But also that's not all. This company have awesome has an awesome benefits package. Uh, forgiveness, peace, joy, purpose, and community, just to name a few. Not only that, not only that, this company has an eternity package second to none. I hear crickets. <laughs> We belong to an awesome company. Now, with that in mind, because of that, um, here are the benefits of justification. See if we pick them up in this verse, right? Chapter 5, 1 to 5. See if you can pick up the benefits of being justified. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But that's not all. Not only so, not only so, Paul writes, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to say there is no clearer passage in the New Testament that gives us the benefits of the gospel, of being justified. Yes, you may be saved, but there are benefits to Christian living. There are blessings along the way. What I mean by that, there is a quality of life that comes from being right with God. What did he say, verse 1? Here's, verse, here's the first benefit of being justified. Here we go. Therefore, what's it therefore? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first benefit. What is it? That we have, pretty simple, I'll let Paul preach to, the, to us this morning, we have peace with God. That's the first and immediate effect of justification. What do we mean by that? That the war is over. Being at odds with God is over. I want to be very clear. When Paul says there that we have peace with God, he doesn't say peace of. It's completely different. Very clear. Peace with God. So what I mean by this is not the feeling of peace as much as the fact of peace. It's not what you feel inwardly when you're sitting on daydream island sipping your whatevers. It's not that kind of peace. The fact is this. 
that at one time, at one time, you were at war with God. The Bible says we were, feel free to write this down, remember this if you like, we were at enmity. We were at enmity with God, the Bible teaches us. That means we were separated from God. Verse 10, uh, we're not covering this particular part, but I want to go to verse 10. We're in five, verse 5 verses of, of Romans 5. Verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now that moment, that moment in which you give over your life to Jesus, the light switch is turned on, justification is declared over your life, the flag of peace goes up in your life. And let me just clarify, let me just clarify that yes, God absolutely loves you. Absolutely. There's no doubt that, for God so loved the world. But, but, here's what he wants to do. He wants to remove that which is against you and cleanse you from your sin. Not just that, He wants to justify you, and by justifying you, declare you righteous, not just that, but to treat you that way, not just that, because he can't unless you admit the condition that he says that you have. And so admitting or confessing that condition is the first step in receiving the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news. What's the good news? It's Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Is this okay? Are we keeping up? Is it okay? Talk to me. You're very quiet. I'm still hearing crickets. <laughs> but God cannot be at peace, I want you to know, with an unpardoned sinner. Peace has to be made. Why? The Bible teaches us that what did I say before? That we are at enmity enmity with God. And once we have peace with God, as Paul says, peace with God, we should also experience the peace of God. Because that's the feeling part, not the fact. That's the feeling of peace, of the peace of God. Romans, uh, let me just remind, let's go back to chapter one. Let's go back. Verse 18, chapter one, verse 18, the wrath of God. I want to talk about this for a moment because we, we often don't. Um, chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And Paul goes on and paints a picture of the wrath of God against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Let's talk about... Oh, sorry, I'll sit down. Let's talk about the wrath. Let's talk about the wrath of God for a moment. Now, it's uncomfortable. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Let's have an honest conversation here for a moment, okay? Because no one, not, not one of us likes it when somebody's angry or mad at us. It doesn't fit our concept of God necessarily. But, but here's the deal. Now, without talking about this, I believe we run a risk of a few things. First of all, I think we run a risk of weakening the power of the good news. If we don't understand God's righteousness. See, the wrath of God is God's action against sin. And here's, here's, what's, here's, here's what we need to hear. It, it, it's that a perfect God, a perfect God 
cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate that which is wrong. He cannot tolerate injustice. And I believe if we do not talk about the wrath of God, here's what we will never understand. We will never understand the forgiveness of God. Because until you understand the forgiveness of God, we won't understand what the penalty for sin is. Not only that, we'll never understand God's great love until we understand God's great hate against sin and injustice and that which is wrong. Another thing we'll never understand. Well, forgiveness, God's love, is that what it does is that it, is sin separates a person from Him. But it's when you come to Him, He places you and dresses you, which I'll get to in a moment, in His grace. And because He has clothed us and we are under His grace, we have these benefits. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace. That's the first thing, with God. No more war with God. That peace treaty has been signed at the cross. And so that's the first benefit of being justified. All right. Second benefit of being justified. Through whom we have gained access. Did you pick that up? Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What is it? That we have access to God. Now, this is a really important word. We could so, you know, uh, so quickly um, read over that, read past this word access. We have access to God. Let me come back because Jesus has clothed us in righteousness. We are no longer slopping around in shorts and t-shirt. There's nothing wrong with that because you wear proper attire before the king. And that, I wear shorts and t-shirts. You you're not getting an illustration. If, you're having, if you think I'm having a go at your clothing, it's not that at all. Um, he has clothed us in righteousness. He has introduced us to the Father, making it possible for relationship to occur, uh, making access possible before God. Even though He knows, even though He knows our natural condition as opposed to Him, He has granted us access. And that's what justification means. That, or in fact, that's what Jesus means when He said, no one comes to the Father but except through me. He's given us the key card to the throne room of God. And when we come into the throne room, we are to come a certain way. Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews says? That we are to come? We are to come Boldly, thank you, someone over here. We are to come boldly. If you break that word down, it means confidently. We are to come confidently before him, not saying, oh, I'm sorry. It's little old me. We are to come boldly. We don't need to apologize. By the way, by the way, as we are justified, God says, hey, call me dad. Hmm. Call me father. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about you because you are justified. You are justified. By the way, just speaking personally for a moment, my children, they know 
they have access to me, and I know people around here as well who have children, they have access to me uh, at any time they want, and I mean any time they want. Why? Because they're my kids. They're my kids. You get the illustration? Number one, we have peace with God. Secondly, we have access. Everyone say access. Access, that's a really important word to God. The third benefit, verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What this means is we have a future hope. We have a future hope to be with God in glory. You see, when you are saved by God, when you simply declare, God, that I am yours, in that moment, here's what happens. A seed begins to grow in your heart. It's a seed of longing where you realize that you are not made for this life alone. And by the way, the hope that we're talking about, that we boast in the hope of the glory of God, the hope here in this text does not mean hope so. Well, I hope to get married one day. I hope that it won't rain this week. I I hope, you get the idea. It does not mean hope so. In fact, it's a stronger word than that. In fact, it means a strong, here's this word again, a strong confidence. It means a, a, a confidence, a confident expectation. Why? Because a person with hope, a person with hope is a confident person. A confident expectation that we will be saved from God's wrath and we will be in the presence and glory of God. Even if we are facing death, you might remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So Paul is saying death is simply a doorway into eternity, right? It's not dread. Death is a doorway into eternity. So we hope, Paul says, in the glory of God. Door of Hope Christian Church, listen to me just for a moment. We are called to more than social service only. My promise to you, alongside the ministry team, which I have the privilege to be a part of and to lead, my promise to you, and always has been from day one in this role, is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what I mean by that is this, that we must not get our eyes off the hope of the future for others. Jesus-centered, others-focused, together in community. Why? Our hope goes beyond just ourselves. I was expecting a little bit more reaction than that, but that's okay. You're a little quiet this morning. That's okay. <laughs> but wait, there's more. There's more. Verse 3 to 5, not only so, Paul's saying, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces um, uh, perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What I believe Paul is saying here is that we have purpose in our pain. We have purpose in our pain. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. We uh, endure our sufferings, absolutely. We put up with, we, we put up with it. We, we get through it eventually. But to glory, to glory, is that what you're saying, Paul? To glory in our sufferings? <laughs> Hands up, who likes to suffer? No. Remember what Paul said? Because we know, he says. He says, because we know something. 
What, is, what do we know? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Let me be just absolutely clear here. Is this, the justification is not an escape from trials. It's a guarantee that those trials will have purpose. It's a guarantee that those trials will work for us and not against us. You know, I'm ministering to a family, no need to mention names, this past week, going through sufferings and trials that were pretty tough. And I was messaging regularly back and forth with this particular family in the life of the church. And a message came back after two or three interactions with this family. And uh, it resonated with this particular point that I'm on at the moment. And I received permission, not with the name, but I received permission to share with you this particular reply. It says, they said this, that we have been blessed beyond all measure in the midst of immense tragedy. Once again, we have been blessed beyond all measure in the midst of immense tragedy. And of course, they were loved, they were cared for, they were looked after pastorally, family, friends, etc., etc. But they were glorying in their suffering. Romans 8, 28, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Purpose. We have purpose in our pain because purpose produces stuff, doesn't it? What does it produce? It produces perseverance, very good. It produces character and it produces hope. So let's look for God's best when we're at our worst. There's a challenge for you. And when you do, you will glory in your sufferings because you'll start thinking deeper and you'll see what good thing that God might be doing. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace with God. Not only that, we have access to God. Not only that, we have hope to be with God in glory. Not only that, that we have purpose in our pain. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good package deal, right? Finally, awake in my last line. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, by the way, all these things produce a rare quality of life, and it's this. Joy. Joy. A joy, a deep-seated joy that would serve others, that we would serve others joyfully. And Paul would say to us this morning, if you apply yourself to these things, people, you cannot lose. Why? He would say that you, in fact, rejoice in the hope of heaven, that you would rejoice in your trials, that because, because, did you hear from that last word that Christine read out there before? Because you have been reconciled to God. I don't know about you, but that's worth celebrating. How do we celebrate? We celebrate by eating together a meal. Have you got your communion ready to go? Is that okay? If you didn't get it, that's okay. Just put your hand up. One of our team would love to come and serve you this morning in that way. But let's get ready to celebrate together being justified and the benefits of that. But this meal this meal this morning as we go together, as Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he took two common elements to show the disciples this was, this was about to happen to me. 
I was going to suffer a death um, at the hands of the Romans. But it was because of our sins. And that's what the juice um, is symbolic of. Uh, of his blood. But the, the little biscuit there that we're going to eat together this morning is symbolic of his body. And so let's eat together. There's something powerful in eating this together as we remember the body of Jesus. Let's eat and remember together. And as the blood of Jesus flowed from his body, it was a reminder that his blood flowed for the sins of this world. And as we've been reminded this morning, this, was, this is something that God could not stand and that he had to send a part of himself to the world to justify us. And we are justified by the body and the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together, remember his blood. <clears throat> 